Welcome to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop, the podcast where we help you harness your intuition, your personal power, so that you can live a magical life. So welcome. This is Jessie Susanna Karnatz, a.k.a. The Money Witch. She brings capitalism... I'm sorry, capitalism critical, shame-free education to healers, hustlers, and creatives in order to catalyze change in their financial lives. She believes healing our finances will bring blessings to our lives, our lineages, and our communities. She offers education, money magic products, and intuitive financial coaching online and in the Bay Area, and does it all with impeccable business lady style. She is also the cult leader of the Money Coven, an online web of magical beings who are healing the relationship with money, showing up for their financial self-care, and becoming powerful stewards to their resources. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Better? I'm just so glad that you're here and that we're able to make this work. Good. Okay. So quick question for you right off the top mm-hmm. is, um, and I did not submit this question, but it came to me as I've been thinking about you. You have such a way and ease about discussing uncomfortable topics that need to be addressed. Has that always been the way for you? Or like, did you have to do some work around that to feel comfortable in that, in that space? I think that I always have wanted to talk about taboo things. And I have a Scorpio rising. So I'm going to say like some of it is that. Um, And then all the Aries, which is just kind of like, fuck it. Like, let's go. Let's just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I have had to like, and honestly, I have so much more to go, you know, like Mm -hmm. I learn all the time and change all the time and develop all the time. But I think that the thing that I had to work the most on is like my own fragility, because I feel like you know, if I think back to sort of like late teen or college years, I really always did want to get in like the debate about things. But I think I would get like, I was like, "Mm," my perspective was skewed or like I would get my feelings hurt or those kinds of things. But I think a lot of it was really just like my own fragility around my own um, identity and things like that. So I feel like it's taken – um, like what it takes is kind of like resilience yeah. work and also just being like um, when things are hard or there's conflict, it's not necessarily like about me or an indictment of me or an indictment of my personality. It's just like things are hard. Yeah. And it's like, you know, these problems are bigger. These topics are bigger than we're like gonna solve in a lifetime. And so like I'm not gonna come in and say the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be very like mindful of the way that I say things. And I think also like, I feel like that's one of my God given gifts. And part of the reason I do talk about things is because I feel like what I've learned, um, you know, in my kind of decade in this business and in a like slightly more public eye is that, um, one of the gifts I have to offer the collective is like putting language on things that are complex or difficult. Yeah. And so I try to do that when I feel really called. And I often like, you know, there's plenty of things I don't speak on, but I usually will speak on something when I feel really called and like that the right 
framing and phrasing has been like given to me in a kind of like channeling sense. Um, I'll take that as like a sign that like this is where I'm supposed to speak. And I do a lot of counsel like um like I have people surrounding me that I really trust and so I do a lot of kind of like bouncing things off of like you know wherever I feel like edginess around things I'll ask people around me that I trust um both before and after to kind of like be honing my own um what my one of my coaches Nikki Black calls like abolitionist intuition Mm. um so wow. yeah. So what would that uh, sound yeah, like? So if someone wanted to practice that, I love the idea of having sort of a cohort of people that are different from mm-hmm. you that you can bounce it off. Like what would a question like that sound sound like if someone had never even thought to ask someone else because they're so afraid? Like Well, I could almost in reverse. Okay. A friend of mine texted me recently. Um we're both Jewish people. And, you know, right now as we're recording this, like the topic that everyone is talking about is like the atrocity unfolding in Palestine. And, um, you know, she texted me in response to something that I had sent to her. And she said, you know, I have these questions and I'm like, legitimately don't understand how to ask anyone these questions without being like accused of uh, mm-hmm. supporting genocide. And, um, I, you know, and maybe that's what you're going to do, but like, if not, like, are you open to talking about it? Could you like help me talk about these couple questions yeah. that I have? Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's an example of like a way that it yes. would, you know, come the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That that's really I could good. be somebody's counsel. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Because I think sometimes there's that paralysis where you're, it's like that fear, that fragility that you're talking about. Um, so thank you for just helping put words to how you would even phrase something like that. Cause some people might feel very vulnerable to admit, you know, everyone has an edge right. to everything. You know, one of the portals that we use in my money coven is financial literacy. And I, you know, I think we think of literacy as being really like, you have it or you don't, you know, especially around financial literacy, you have it or you don't. But I'm like, everyone has an edge to every literacy that they have, right? Like you're literate in whatever and there's an edge to it. And there's like, we can't be ashamed that there's like an edge to our literacies Mm -hmm. because that's just like the the state of reality, you know, in, in everything. So I think like not being afraid to identify the edge of the reality and like you're saying like there's this anxiety about being like oh I don't know and I I feel like I've really internalized that in the past and felt like that me like I should know or it means something about me you know that I don't know or I can't like develop this idea but I think the more that I've been able to say like I don't know you know, or even like on the internet, right? Like on Instagram, when we're getting into conversations about something and then someone will like take it to a point where they're like, well, what about this? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I need to, you know, I don't know. I need to think about it for a while. Yeah. And I think that's a great answer too, right? There is that pressure to know, especially someone like you that's in a public eye. Sometimes people demand, you know, where an instant response. And I think it's a mature, informed way to be to say, 
yeah, I have to learn more about that or I need to ask somebody or I need to, I just, I'm not sure. Yeah, let me go to somebody who know who I yeah. know is thinking about this thing all the time. Yeah, you know? for sure, for sure. And I, I'm thinking about my cousin, Dan, he's amazing, uh, but he's kind of one of those people for me about certain topics and subjects. And I think it's great also to be that person for others too. It's like a real reciprocity, even if it's not a one-to-one, you know, it's like you exactly. help someone else and they help you or whatever that is. Well, thanks Absolutely. for that. Counsel is really important to me. Yeah. yeah. I love that idea. I love that idea. Um, well, I just jumped into that question. I, yep, I just want to go into like your book. A lot of what I'd like to talk to you about is information that I gained from your book. I loved it. It was so different to me. It isn't, I mean, it is a book about financial wellness and accountability, but it's a book of healing. And I feel like if I, you go through those steps in audit any part of your life and then just change it from money to love or, you know, I agree. Yep. It's, it's a healing book. And I think it's cool that you like centered it around money because it is an edgy topic for a lot of folks. Um, but I haven't seen it done the way that you did it. And I also just really am going to applaud you for some of these topics that you bring to mind in the wellness, self-help, spiritual community, where there's a lot of glassing over or glazing over or like bypassing or not really talking about the thing. Like it's not just your vibration. You're also born into a certain socioeconomic status or you're, you know, we're part of a capitalist society. There's all these other things. So I want to talk to you about all of it. And I've been waiting to talk to someone that, that could really hit those topics. I've been interviewing lots yeah. of people in abundance and there's a well, well of people in like the spiritual, like law of attraction space, but this yeah. has got that grittiness to it. That's real. So I love that. So think nothing, not to diss other opinions, but this was like a real, yeah. real talk. I think, um, it reminds me of like the question we were just talking about because it's like I think sometimes the glossing over happens when people don't know yeah you know what I mean so it's like and and some of these things like there's it's about reconciliation and there's like friction and it's like how do I reconcile that and that and then it's like I don't know so maybe I'm not really going to go there, you know, or mm -hmm. it's not like the most important thing to me. So I'm not gonna, you know, which is where the privilege dynamic comes in, right? right. Like, I don't have to figure out how to reconcile, like, systemic scarcity and my lived experience and how the law of attraction is supposed to work. So I just won't, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'll just, but I might think very deeply into certain other aspects of it, yeah. you know? Um, so I think it's like reconciliation work to be like, okay, um, if these vibrational tools work or like if abundance is a real thing or if manifestation is a real thing, then how do we kind of reconcile or explain like systemic economic inequality, yeah. inequality, right? Like, and, but I'm like, this is a human question. Like it's the same it's like, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Like, it just, like, mm -hmm. happens, you know, or it's like, if there's a God, like, why was there slavery? You know, like, all these kinds of things, right? Like, that's how do we reconcile concepts of spirit and spirituality and and a plan or, like, fatedness or, you know, any of these things, right? Um, having impact uh, energetically on the world around us and the fact that we're, like, also obviously surrounded by suffering that is like being 
not just imposed by like natural events, you know, but being imposed by other humans. Um, yeah. So it's really like, I am also intrigued, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's the work of like, not just my lifetime, but you know, human, human lifetime, like that's the existential crisis basically. So. Yeah. And that's what we'll probably be discussing, discussing a lot today. And then also to remind, like you reminded me of something I read in your book about the glossing over. I mean, you even call it out in the book where you're like, if you're tuning out right now, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or if like, because yeah. I don't know if you can just tell like where people might in, in certain areas of the book, like hit their edge or, or just maybe generally, like if you're going through this information and you're finding yourself just glazing over, it's time to like take a walk, put it down, you know, take a minute, but come back to it. But it's also, it's, it was such a good context clue as to like where your edge is, is to see like exactly what you're saying, where you tune out. Yeah. Yeah, where do you right? So it's like, okay, because I notice for myself, like I have ADHD and I'm like, I notice all the time where I'm like, you know, it happens more with me with podcasts and less with books, but like where I'll be like listening and then I'll be like, I didn't listen to the last five minutes of that. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, you know, like let me run it back. And I think people do it all the time, but I am also curious about, yeah, like what happened in that exact moment? Like mm-hmm. what happened in that exact moment where you like detoured? And often for me with podcasts, it's like, um, some sort of creative spark, mm. like I'll be like, oh, that makes me think of this, you know, and then I'm kind of like on a little creative journey in my mind. Um, but I think oftentimes when we're dealing with like hard stuff or money or financial documents, it's like something we don't understand, mm-hmm. right? Like you read a number that you're just like, I don't even know what this means. Or it's like, oh, gather, you know, you're like, I need a file for my LLC or, you know, whatever it is, like, go get my this, this, and this. And you're like, oh, my profit and loss state. Like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Or like, you know, and then it's just kind of like, okay, bye. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like uh, I'm gone. So I think it's like, if we took that as the edge of our literacy and then reformulated it into a question, like, I wonder what that is. Like, I wonder what a profit and loss statement is, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of like went in a, in an exploration. Um, I think it's just a more self-loving approach. Yeah, it definitely is. Because it's like, yeah, if you think about a kid, right, and it's like, if you're reading a book, if they were reading, you know, when you're like, have that early readers and they're, they're reading, and then it's like, if you got to a word they didn't know, and you were just like, ah, fuck it, like, let's just not read this book anymore, you know, like, it's not a very, like, loving way to treat a child, and it's, like, you know, you need to be, like, here's the word, like, let's sound it out, like, what does it mean, like, let's try again, you know, and it's, like, we deserve that, we deserve that with ourselves. For sure, and you know, I also appreciate what you have mentioned in this book, or what this book really is, is an empowerment tool for you to get those skills up and gain that literacy, and if you don't mind, I'll just share something brief with me is yeah. that, you know, I, my business grew really quickly and I was, a, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. So I didn't know that like any of this stuff, I thought yeah. I was going to make just like be able to, you know, sell some crystals and do some tarot readings. And it turned into like a very big organization. And because of my lack of confidence in this financial area, I wound up actually losing a lot of money paying for people, paying people mm-hmm. to like help me understand this, that, or the other, but they didn't really help me understand. They just kind of like did it for me. And I always was like wobbly in that confidence. And I feel like I made some poor financial decisions actually, because I wasn't like 
synthesizing and really understanding the information and then partnering with my intuition, which is my superpower. So I'm just throwing it out there for people that this is really worthwhile, especially we have a lot of people that might be like entrepreneurs or solopreneurs in this community. It's, it's so empowering and you'll trust your decision so much more when you can integrate that information. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, you got you. Got, if you have signed up for the like small business life, you mm-hmm. know, that group, I call it my business coven. And it's like, if you're in the business coven, you have to figure this yeah. out. I mean, you, you've got to because that's the difference really between being a business person and just being a really skilled practitioner, Yeah, right? Like you can't just be like, I'm a really skilled practitioner who doesn't want to have a boss, but I won't really like run the business either. Yeah. You I know, agree. I mean, you can, you can, and we, we hack it together, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like, we're a, we're a crafty bunch, but you know, and then a lot of us hack it together for multiple years, but I definitely, especially when I was doing bookkeeping and taxes. Yeah. I went into all kinds of business situations with people who had pretty successful, you know, from the outside, what people, I mean, they were successful businesses. I don't want to undercut their success, like just because like they weren't, didn't have their bookkeeping done or whatever, but yeah, it's surprising how far a small business can get without, you know, like there'd be people who were like, Oh, the first three or four years of their business, like they haven't done bookkeeping. They haven't filed taxes, you know? And, um, and they even like have a brick and mortar store or, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah, but the, um, embarrassingly, it's a gift to self. Okay, the embarrassing adm- admission for me is I ran the first year of my business not having a business license because I didn't even know that was a thing that you needed to have. I, like, yeah, I, I, don't even worry about that one. <laughs> yes. So there's, I think the interesting thing that like empowering yourself with this kind of information as a business owner is you don't know what you don't know sometimes. So it yes. it just like helps you see the the fuller picture, um, and. I, Okay. So I would like to swing back to like that edge and kind of glossing over because it kind of ties into something I wanted to talk to you about regarding people's relationship to shame. And like, maybe Mm. that's sort of a reason why you avoid looking at these sort of things or like not admitting that you hit your edge. Um, And because you talk about it a lot in your book. And so I'm curious about like how you see the relationship between money and shame in certain situations and how it's also kind of like connected into like the subject of money is like interconnected to so many areas of our lives and our self-worth and our psyches. Yeah. And I think one of the things that happens with money, especially, you know, if we're going to kind of like reinvoke this business coming group or, you know, any kind of like professionals, people who are really successful in other areas of their life, like they're amazing community organizers. They're like, you know, really great with their family. Like any of these things, it's like, And then you get into the money part and money is sort of the place in your life where you feel the least successful, you know, and the least competent, even if you're making money, you know, but you're just like, I'm not managing this. I'm like, I haven't filed my taxes. Like there's these secrets too, right? So secrets is one place where we get shame. Like I haven't filed my taxes for however many years and nobody knows. And, or like, you know, I have like a credit card addiction and I'm like shopping, you know, online at night and nobody knows, or, you know, I'm like buying things and hiding them from my partner or, um, you know, I don't know how to hit these goals in my business, like whatever it is. Right. And it's often in this kind of stark juxtaposition to 
the the way we're living our lives as like successful people in community where like people are constantly like you're so great or I really admire the things that you're doing or you know you're such a boss or whatever this is and then it's like oh but you don't really know mm-hmm. you know like actually I'm really a mess and you don't know so I think that's one way shame can show up I think um shame is a form of internalized oppression so stories that other people were invested or like the system is invested in us believing can come internalized and be shame which you know can be like for people who were um socialized as women things about like math numbers you know um control of household finances those kinds of things um you know for people who are socialized or like racialized as black and brown for feeling like, oh, you can never work enough or like you always are like getting too much for like not doing enough. Like there's all these like messaging that, um, you know, there's there's a systemic investment in you believing that because it's like when you believe it, then you act from that place. And it's sort of like, um, like you're oppressing yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you're doing the work for your for the system. Um you're compliant, right? Basically, like you're compliant with the system. Um, And so that is huge with shame. And, you know, so much of that is like work, numbers, math, like all of that stuff, right? Like super easy to get activated. Um, Our family patterns, just like any kind of, you know, abuse, like shame is just massive. It's so pervasive. And so I think like when money brings up those things that's that like interconnected web like there's this web of thought feelings where it's sort of like I don't really want to touch that because when I touch that it it lights up all these other little points you know and and then I am suffering you know um I'm I'm like in touch more in touch with the suffering that maybe I'm kind of like putting to the side you know or covering up somehow Mm -hmm. so I think that I mean, it makes sense just from an animal perspective to kind of like avoid the things that feel painful. But when you get in it, you know, just like anything, like we've all done this work. That's the thing with financial healing, right? It's like I look at it two ways. Like, you know, the premise of my work is heal your finances. And that's in the subtitle of the book. Um, And I think it, it works two ways. One, it's like, we're people, if you even are finding this book, you're already engaged in healing work, right? Like you've already done it about something at least. And I'm like, okay, apply, but we don't really think like apply that stuff to your money, right? So it's like, number one, heal your finances by applying everything you know about healing already like to your money. And then the other side is like, use your money as a portal to like, learn more about yourself and just expand like your healed self in general, you know, like build your self-awareness, like do your shadow work because um, when something feels painful and we're kind of avoiding it, it's like there's stuff in there Mm -hmm. and it doesn't like go away because we don't deal with money or we're not like, you know, doing our budgeting. It's just sort of like, oh, it's just undigested content really you know so it's an opportunity to really like okay let me go in and start touching this with support you know with a healing lens like 
with a liberatory lens so that I can kind of see what's in there and I can kind of synthesize and digest some of this stuff and just become a more integrated person. Yeah, for sure. I think like with, with me, when I started doing, you talk a lot about the book or like there's a section about awareness and like bringing these certain patterns to awareness and all of that. And for me, that's when I became aware of actually some shame. Just It wasn't necessarily Mm. about money, but like I would, I was embarrassed of the awarenesses because it felt like, I was walking around almost like a booger hanging out of my nose and I didn't know it was there, but everyone else can see it. And that's sort of like some of this awareness piece. So that's why I do think that it was smart of you and how you, the progression of the book to deal with sort of the shame piece first so that by the time you work through that and get to the awarenesses, maybe there is that healing lens of feeling less embarrassed or, you know, from like the... I don't know. We show our asses sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're just gonna, you know, like, I think there's so much desire to, I don't know, just preemptively sweep it all up, you know, before anyone can notice, but it's just, it's just impossible. And it's not, you know, I mean, that's vulnerability, right? Like that's, that's humanity and like connecting in humanity. And we have to allow ourselves and, everyone else to be human like it's like the most liberatory thing we can do Mm. and shame I mean that's like my big I just feel like shame is just such a waste of our precious life force because it really is about like I don't know like demonizing the ways that we're human and I'm just like that is terrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have to let yourself be human. I mean, is that also part of like, I guess, perfectionism, you know, too? It's like yes. not have. So how, I'm sure you've mentioned this in the, in the book, but I'm, it's escaping me. How does perfectionism play into like the system that you're talking about that, you know, the, that where we oppress ourselves, but the, we do the job for the system. When you say the system, can you clarify what, you mean by that and how does if any perfectionism play into that yeah um I the term I use in the book is um curiarchy and that is Ah, like a very particular kind of like academic biblical term that was coined by a um white feminist biblical scholar actually (laughs) in the 90s um she's cool she's a cool babe um but it basically is like you know also um like Kimberly Crenshaw, the concept of intersectionality. And um, I think it's Patricia Hill Collins who says uh, like matrix of oppressions. So it's like these intersecting systems, which, you know, I feel like that kind of concept has become sort of more entered slightly into the mainstream in the past, like, you know, five or so years, um, which is like, it's not just uh Want, you know, we're not just thinking about like race or class or, you know, economics or um, able-bodied, you know, beingness or um, any of these other things. It's like, or like age, you know, it's like they're all connected in like um, in this matrix of oppression. So um, when I'm talking about money, I think like, you know, what I say is like uh, racial capitalism because I feel like that's a good way to kind of like sum it all up. Cause we're talking about essentially in this moment, the system that we're operating in is most heavily impacted by, um, 
I mean, this really wild like series of events that's unfolded over the last thousand years. That's like this kind of system of colonialism that's I think starts with like the Roman Empire and you know whatever anyway I could really nerd out about this for a long time but um (laughs) we don't have that kind of time but um you know it's like what are the beliefs about ourselves about ourselves and about each other how do we um yeah like how have we taken on this belief system from racial capitalism and the thing about racial like race in cap all these things is um it's a hierarchy right so all of these systems are about hierarchy and in a hierarchy right it's like what's good and what's bad you know and and then we do that with ourselves right like what's good is like having it together and knowing everything you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. what's bad is like you know being seen as not having it all together or you know having this vulnerability um and then humans like in in race or in any kind of like hierarchical system it's like it's uh it's an arrangement of bodies in relationship to in a hierarchy in a relationship to power so you know it's like we say like it's not real like whiteness isn't like a a a real thing um you know like paleness of skin is a real thing right or like european ancestry is a real thing but like whiteness isn't like a, isn't a nature, you know, it's not in nature. It's uh it's a concept that's created in relationship to hierarchy, right? Like it's like, like white only exists in relationship to black, brown, you know, like other racialized bodies. Right. So, and it's an arrangement in a hierarchy. So um, when we're thinking about the way that we've like taken these things on, and money is just, you know, it's all of that. It's your whole story of upbringing, right? Which is all about money and what you, like if you had it or you didn't have it and why did your family have it or not have it? And how did they psychologically manage the experience of having it or not having it and why they had it or didn't have it, right? Wow. That's basically formulating your entire life, right? Yes. And then it's like, how, how do you internalize that process? Um, and, you know, I think that's shame. Yeah, that, yeah, that is shame. And then sort of like that perfectionism too is sort of like in this weird messed up way, is it kind of like the top of the pyramid? Like we want to be- Exactly. Seen- yeah. It- perfectionism is, you know, yeah, you're at the top. You're, you know, all these things, right? That it's like that people want to be right. white. Uh, thin, you know, pretty, quote unquote, whatever, you know, like anything uh, rich, um, you know, any, any of these things, able-bodied that we like want to be because we, it's at the, it's just the way that it was arranged. This is what we've put at the top and and people want to be at the top because we've also said the highest value within racial capitalism is to be at the top. Right. Right. That's what you should be striving towards is getting as close to the top as you possibly can. Yeah. So like when people hear this, what you're talking about, and they consider themselves like spiritually minded people, it's like, how do we hold those paradoxes between the fact that we're like spiritual beings and we want to do well and be in integrity and then also like reconcile this capitalism that we're, we're part of that system. So I get like, Mm -hmm. what would you say to that? Well, one, I think I just want to like 
highlight. I have yeah. all of my highlighters out because I was like stress arranging them into a rainbow. So I'm like, highlight. Um, <laughs> highlight the we're part of it, right? Like that's number one. I feel like so many people politically and spiritually like come at a different lens, but it's sort of like, how can I essentially like excuse myself from even being like implicated in this system? And I'm just like, you cannot. Yeah. You can't. You cannot excuse yourself from being implicated in this system. Like you, whether you're like impacting others or being impacted, right? Like, and we're all doing, most of us are doing both all the time. Okay. So, um, you know, there's that. I think that's really important. And then, you know, the way that I personally reconcile it, my like personal, um, I don't know, attempt is what I call the earth journey. So my belief is that um, our souls, you know, it's sort of like a um, reincarnation belief, but like our souls are working out certain pieces of healing and information over time through like multiple um, incarnations and that each of us is sort of like weaving in a thread of healing into the tapestry and you don't have to believe in reincarnation like you could believe like you have one life and this is what you're doing but you're here I feel like you're here for a reason you're here to do a piece of evolution you know for yourself and in doing that evolution you know or for your soul and in doing that evolution you're also doing it on behalf of all of humanity and all of existence so we're all kind of like weaving this tapestry of um, of evolution. And, um, you know, everyone puts in their work and some people put in a lot of work because we, you know, that's the sort of like healer, um, healer or healing track. Right. Because I think like not everybody who's like, oh, it's really important to me to do a lot of healing in this lifetime necessarily needs to say like, and now I'm a healer, you know, it's like, and, and also we all are healing presences, right? Like we all have our own special, like, medicine that we give, you know, whether that's just like in our family home or the, you know, whatever, the peacemaker or the one who always cheers everybody up with jokes or, you know what I mean? Like the one who makes the delicious thing that makes everybody at the school happy or whatever it is, right? Like everybody has their own little like healing, you know, magic. Um, but yeah. So anyway, people who are really called into this paradigm I think are just like way more in touch with like, oh, I have a curriculum. I need some tools. Like I really need to do this. I'm doing this on behalf of lineage. I'm doing this on behalf of my family. I'm doing this behalf of like, you know, descendants. Um, I'm like engaging in the, in that in a high level way. Um, but I think that that's why we're here. And I think that I don't believe in the idea of like being born at the wrong time. You know, people are like, oh, I was born in the wrong era. And I'm right. like, no, like, no, your body and your soul meet in a particular moment in time space. And this is for you because this is your curriculum. So I'm like, if you're here now, capitalism is not like an accident. It's like this, you're a part of this story. You are a part of the story of racial capitalism. And and what and how we evolve hmm. through it, you know, inside of it, through it, hopefully out of it. Um, 
you're called into this moment to be present here. And I do think people can feel very in touch with information from other dimensions or lifetimes, you know, but to me, I'm like, don't, the earth journey is like, this is your soul's most important work at this time. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that you're doing it, right? It's relatively short. I say like we get like a zero to 120 years <laughs> of doing this in this body, in this moment in space time. And you may have like a heightened ability to access information from other lives, from other dimensions. But I'm like, just chill because you will go back. Like, don't worry. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to go back into like cosmic matter, you know, God willing, not today, but like relatively shortly. So just be here and do this because mm-hmm. that's what you're being called to do. Yeah. You know, and you need it. Like yeah. you need it. You need all of the information to like synthesize into like whatever it is that you're doing. So if you're bypassing stuff, you know, or avoiding it, it's like you're not really, um, you know, when they do the grade, they're going to be like, like my son just got a D on his English class project, you know, and it was like, He's like, well, we did it. And I'm like, yeah, but are there like pieces of the list where you were like, and you're supposed to use this word three times or like whatever, you know, that you just didn't do. And I feel like it's like that, right? Like you can live your human life, but if you're like ignoring the systems that we're living in or ignoring money or ignoring your body or ignoring, you know, family or whatever, like you're, you're probably not like hitting all the points on the grading rubric. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a very powerful message for people that follow modern mystic is people that follow you too. Like they're on this spiritual quest and journey and everything, everything is a spiritual test or a spiritual learning. You can, and when you frame life that way, you also like walk around as an integrated human being. There's not like this spiritual side and this practical side. It's like all you. And it's about like being um, fluid into knowing like when to lean into which parts, you know, But I think it is easy, especially when people first first start getting online with some of their intuitive gifts and abilities or their rituals working. It is interesting sometimes to detour. People like detour because they're like, well, that's new and exciting. Um, But it can be a way to check out. Like it's it's definitely more pleasant to like do a meditation all day and like channel information from Atlantis and like hold on to a crystal and then like eat a smoothie. Like (laughs) that's more pleasant. Like I know I've got tons. (laughs) I love them everywhere. But it's like, you know, it's definitely more pleasant to do that. Like way to spend a day than it is to like, um, you know, like dissect like what's my – how am I contributing to colonialism? You know, like what's my whatever, but I'm like, honestly, it's, that's all the work. That's all the work. Yeah. Especially being born in this country at this time with these. Which exactly. Like I like, which you were, which you were, which you were, which you were. Yeah. Check, check, check. So let's like, let's not check out. So let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Check, check, check. So it does not check out. Sometimes I say, um, get excited about reality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, this might be a segue. It's a little bit different topic, but I love how you define and you talk about the subconscious mind in this book too, because I do believe that's what creates your reality, speaking of reality. But I don't know that everyone actually understands what it is. I feel like like people like throw it around 
like without understanding. So would you mind just defining what that term means in your experience and how that actually plays into your reality around your financial wellness? Sure. And actually when you wrote that question, I was like, what does it mean? You know, like oh. I, it caused me to also look it up because I was like, let me You're like, what did I, I say I about that? Think. I know. <laughs> what did I say about this? And you know, I mean, I know when I was writing the book, there was like little bits of research, like as it was going on, but, um, Okay, so this is what I came up with. In in the psychological perspective, which like mostly in terms of unconscious mind, it comes from like Freud and then uh, Jung. And that's so it's like in psychology, there's only like the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. And then they called like the semi-conscious states. So it's like dreaming, um, lucid, you know, states, like anything that intuition, whatever, like access to information, like that's kind of like our semi-conscious world. Um, I think when we talk about it in like the kind of new age world, we're talking about information that is below the surface, but that impacts our behavior, um, our thinking, our feelings, um, but we're not necessarily aware. And the, the I pulled a definition actually of the like unconscious mind because I liked this sentence. It said processes of the mind that occur automatically and are not available to introspection. Hmm. So I thought that was really interesting, right? It's sort of like it's the part of us that like we can't even consider or ponder because we just don't even see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it includes repressed things that are repressed, subliminal perceptions, and automatic reactions. So this was really interesting to me when thinking about money, right? Because it's sort of like some of the automatic reactions are just built from being an animal, I think, right? Like it's like our whatever, (laughs) lizard brains or whatever we call it. And then some of that is going to be built through our experience growing up. Mm -hmm. So that's trauma. Um... And then subliminal perceptions is going to be kind of like our messaging, whether that's like collective societal messaging or it is individual messaging that we receive through our families, you know, Mm -hmm. and through our lineages um, of just sort of like, what do we just believe as a default without even considering like, oh, there could be another way to think about this. Yeah. And then the repressed stuff. So I think this is a lot of what's getting activated when we're doing a healing journey, whether mm-hmm. it's healing our finances or whatever. Um, we're just like, oh, I'm doing this thing that should feel a certain way. Like I'm being told by these blogs, like, just go categorize your things on QuickBooks, you know? <laughs> and then I go to do it and like, I feel horrible, you know? And it's like, Uh, the blog doesn't say I should feel horrible. It just says like I should just do it. So there's something wrong with me. Then we're back to shame, right? There's something wrong with me because it's supposed to just be easy. So either there's something wrong with me because I can't do it or there's something wrong with me because um, like I can't make myself not feel bad enough to do it. You know, that's that willpower ethic. Um. So any of those things can kind of pop up. But I think that in using this, like if you're really present with your money um, and we're kind of using financial healing as a portal for self-awareness, it's like when we're doing healing, a lot of what we're doing is 
creating a safe space and then kind of like trying to reach through the portal a little bit to be like, is there like, what could we kind of recover or pull through into the conscious minds from that subconscious or what were they calling the semi-conscious mind? You know, like, are there things, you know, which some of it can be dangerous. So like if repressed, you know, you pull out repressed things. It's like, there was a reason why we were repressing these things, you know, mm-hmm. like sometimes it can feel really dangerous. So, but we're pulling through like, oh, remembering that things happened. Um, also like exploring our relationship to like, you know, how did we get here? Why do we believe the things that we believe? Um, and just sort of like trying to integrate as much of it as we can, like digest, integrate, process, accept, grieve, you know, embrace, let go, um, as much of ourselves as possible. So I think that that's kind of maybe one of the marks of healing, um, is like being making a conscious choice to do it because I I was thinking how much of things that like actually even are in people's conscious mind are they sometimes like oh but I'm not even you know I know this but I'm not even going to go there mm. like I'm going to kind of do this conscious version of repressing which is like denying or avoiding right like yeah avoidance is a big know. one I'm sure in your field too around money oh huge yeah, yeah. compartmentalizing huge you know yeah. and just be like I'm not going to deal with this but then it's like so making that choice to just say like healing anything but healing your finances is like I'm going to say yes. Like I'm going to try to like face and you know look at and explore and acknowledge the reality of the existence of as much of this information as possible and then I'm going to like you know try to pull as much more through as possible and I'm going to make the the do the work to integrate it, you know. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I mean, basically what you're talking about with this subconscious mind is it's sort of like, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, it's sort of like the motor that's running your life, but you don't even realize it's what's like driving Mm. your life sometime unless you like get behind the wheel consciously and you're like, okay, I'm going to steer this a specific way. And, and, and if you use your, you you talk a lot about awareness in the, in the book. And in my experience, if you just pay attention to how you do anything, anything, it will give you so much information. For instance, like I'm teaching 5,000%. Yeah. I'm teaching a tarot class, right? So it's like, I'm working with 40 people and we do, I do it a few times a year, but you can see that, like, I just tell the students, like, pay attention what comes up for you when you pull a tarot card, because it's giving you a lot of information about how you do a lot of things or how you're a student or how you like have to do it exactly perfect before you'll even open your mouth to describe what the card means. And so this like awareness and like bringing things from you know, maybe the subconscious or unconscious forward is really just a fancy way to say like, pay attention, <laughs> just like pay mm-hmm. attention to yourself. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you're using money as a means of that self-discovery, which is awesome because I think it's, it's so polarizing sometimes that it's like an alarm bell and you can't miss it. But even if you look at it, some of the more simple tasks that you do or don't do, that can give you, that might be less triggering for people. Let's say if if money's too triggering for that to be the place for you to start with your awareness, find something else that's like less, you know, confronting and start to notice and then start thinking about, well, how does this show up in this area of life? Or does this show up with this person or whatever? And you get a lot of information Mm -hmm. and you can actually start to use it for, for healing. Like this is just showing you where you might need some more healing and support or knowledge or whatever. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Ah, oh, thank you. Um, 
I just love talking about this. Okay, can you? I learned so much stuff from reading your book. It's so I'm gonna read it again because I was reading it with cool. the mind with the mind of like interviewing you, but now I just yeah. want to read it as like a consumer. I've never heard of this, but some of these phrases which I love. Talk about can you talk about financial gaslighting? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I I see this come up in multiple ways. So one is like a form of abuse, like financial abuse that people experience in their family. Um, and, you know, abuse can be kind of a, an extreme term for some of the things that people might experience. But it's like, if what you can see or perceive as true is different than what you're being told is true about money, it can really make it difficult for you, especially as a child, it can make it difficult. It sort of morphs your, um, your concept of like what reality is, right. Which is what gaslighting does or, you know, like emotional abuse. It's sort of like, what is, you know, it questions undermines your sense of like, what is reality? Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, like a very concrete example of this would be like, um, you, as a child, you're being told like, there's no money for, you know, whatever it is. Like you can't take, I don't know, dance classes or Mm -hmm. you can't go on the school trip, you know, because there's no money for that. Um, and at the same time, you're able to observe that maybe someone in your family is gambling away a lot of money or, um, someone in your family is addicted to shopping and there's like a lot of like things coming into the house or there's like status items being bought, you know, and there's this external, um, like, oh, well we have this car and we have these clothes, but then like, I'm being told like, no, there's no money for you to, you know, go to the dentist or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, how can there be money, but also not be money? You know, it's very like confusing to, especially a child mind. So then it's like when you're an a teenager in your 20s, an adult, like really trying to formulate your own relationship to financial reality, it's like easy to kind of tap into this dual reality of like, there's always simultaneously not enough money and money to say yes to things that maybe we don't need, you know, Um, which there's nothing wrong with buying things or like, you know, engaging in things that you like want and don't need, but it's sort of about like priority, right? Yeah. Um. So that would be like one idea. And then, you know, I think one of the things about financial gaslighting is it's also happening on a systemic level, right? Because it's like, um, you know, a lot of colonial mythology is gaslighting, right? Like we're like, um, people have money because they're like deserving, right? Or like if you're poor, it's sort of through like your moral ineptitude and like the failing moral failing of your family you know um which is just not true right like um it's just not true so um or like even you know I feel like there's so much discourse lately around like well there's enough money for war but there's not enough money to like forgive student loans or there's not you know it's sort of like that's the government's version of that yeah I'm just being like like okay how could there be $144 $144 billion, but also be like, no, we can't possibly do this thing that costs $2 billion. You know, like, how can both of those things be true at the same time? Yeah, that's what you, when you were talking about that from a bigger level, that's exactly what I was thinking about. It's like our government, you know, it's really our government is showing us different priorities, perhaps, exactly. and not necessarily the truth. Or, I mean, they just keep printing money, right? 
<laughs> it's like yeah well and it's like even as a kid right it's a really rough thing to learn and absorb but it's like basically what they're saying is like it's just not yeah it's not our priority yeah yeah so it's like no parent is gonna say like um well no because it's like more important to me to like have alexis than it is for you to like play violin yeah yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. So they're gonna come up with some story about like why it's true, which is like you don't deserve violin or like you know whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with the government, right? Like that's sort of what they're saying. Like we don't deserve to have our student loans forgiven, you know, because like basically, and it's the same poverty story, right? Because essentially, like we took out the student loans because we bought something we couldn't afford, you know, education. And um, if we can't pay for it, like, that's not anybody else's problem. You know what I mean? It's like, because ultimately, it's like some kind of, you know, somewhere along the way, there's some sort of like moral failing, or mm -hmm. else we would have had money to pay for college, you know? Right. Ah, Student loans is a whole other <laughs> situation ah. for so many people. I, I just yes. really feel like this generation got really squished, you know, like, yep. we were sold a dream by a certain by the, our parents and like the elder generation, and we made certain decisions. And then the support that we need to like cross the finish line isn't really there. There's so many different ways um about that well i have i have some a couple practical questions as we start to wrap this sure. up um one is let's just say you make a financial decision that's bad or you make a business not bad but like you make a business risk that fails or whatever mm -hmm. how do you sort of like regain your sense of confidence around this this topic like if you've built up the confidence and you'd make that risk and then kind of backslide is there how how would you like repair that within oneself I think first, I mean, a lot of it's just sort of what I guess would be called mindset stuff, right? So it's like, on one hand, I would say the perfectionism, mm -hmm. right? To just be like any kind of anti-perfectionism work that you can be doing, um, to which is just literally like, I am a human. I cannot predict the result of like everything that happens. Like there is no such thing as control. There's only like the illusion of control, you know? And this is literally just like a thing that happened and- and it's like it my if my belief about myself is that like I can't survive a difficult time, essentially, you know what I mean? Because that's what's going to happen, right? Like something, a mistake was made, things are going to be challenging for a while while you figure it out and rechart your course, you know? So it's like if you can, if you can let go a little bit of like, you know, perfectionism on some level, I think is a belief that like we can't handle hard things and the people around us kind of can't handle hard things you know but it's like really we can you know we can go through a difficult time we can ask the people around us to support us through a difficult time like we don't have to you know always be like shiny superstars in order to like be supported and loved by the people around us I mean you know in some families we do but we can work yeah. on letting go of that um so I think that's one thing, like the perfectionism, accepting yourself as human, accepting yourself as resilient, um, understanding that like there's really no such thing as control. It was just like the illusion of control anyway. And I think like a little bit of just sort of like it's a game. It's an adventure. Like life is an adventure. You're, you know, you're taking risks. You're taking journeys. Nothing is really like a failure, right? So it's like, what did you learn? Like, what is the, you know, what's the, 
what's the lesson? What's the takeaway? You know, maybe you lost a bunch of money, but you created, came out of the other side with like a really strong community or, you know, like, what is it that like, um, you know, or you, um, you know, it wasn't financially viable, but you carved out, you know, 10 years to explore pursuing something that you really love, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, that's so cool because you, um, you gave yourself that time, right? Mm -hmm. Like so many people like never give themselves that time or like never try. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I like that. I think like love, like a lot of love and compassion. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, and then another practical question is, you know, um, if you're in a relationship and you have, you know, you talk about in the book, like money goals and desires, how do you align those with a partner or, mm. and, and how, you know, so where you, neither one of you feel like you're compromising too much or whatever. Like, do you, do you get run into that sometimes with some of the people oh, yeah. you work with? So what's your mm-hmm. best advice for that? I used to do more um, like couples coaching too. And I feel like now the, the framework that I do when I want coaching through now is called Empress of Fortune. And I feel like there's a number of people who have come through that program who have really like done a lot of work on their money issues with their partner. And it's all really about like cleaning up your own side of the street. A lot of it was, you know, like, um, and a lot of it honestly was about like vulnerability work. Mm. Um, Like, yeah, being open about, being open about like kind of things, you know, like that perfectionism stuff, right? Like feeling like you have to have it all together. You have to, you know, this and this, like being open to receiving help, being open to receiving input, um, being open to compromise. I think like that has shown up as a major theme. Um, Honestly, too, I think in a lot of relationships, there's sort of like the money person and then the like not money person. And it's really about like both people, like both people have a role in the healing and the person who's like the money person really needs to like tone it down on the like know it all list <laughs> of it. And like, you know, the like, um, it's like this, 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 and you do this, 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 you know? Um, and the person who's like the not money person often has to do a lot of work on like avoidance you know, and kind of, you know, denial and head in the sands um, and that kind of stuff. But both people really need to be like very loving of the work that the other person needs to do and to like understand that um, the work that the other person needs to do isn't always the work that we think they need to do. Good point. (laughs) you know like we have our own little agenda of like oh well if you're going to be better about this then you need to like blah 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 but you know I think really like loving the other person enough to like really see them in their whole kind of spiritual journey um and you know just witnessing them in them identifying like what's the work they need to do And then being supportive and like a kind of accountability light figure, you know, in their life for that work, not like, okay, how are you going to show up to do this like agenda of things that like I think you need to do? 
I mean, that's relationship um, advice, yeah. period, right? Financial yeah. or otherwise. That's exactly. <laughs> Everyone needs to rewind and listen to that whole thing again. <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly how, I mean, it's easier said than done, but that's exactly yeah. how you have a harmonious relationship. Because also, like, think about it. You don't want someone else forcing you to do something or telling you what you need to do. I mean, we're, so you think your partner's going to like that either? No, it's like, we want to be, you know, accepted and autonomous and we have our, it's like trusting that that other person has got themselves. You know what I mean? Like, well, and they're committed. I think one of the most important things is like a, a compatible or equal, um, commitment to evolution. Yeah. You know, because not everybody does want to show up for that process of of evolution, you know, and then that's a, you know. That's a value, right. Yeah, that's a value. It's a value. It is a value. That you probably should establish at the top of the relationship. Ooh, there's a lot of value. <laughs> I just feel like relationships are one of those things where it's like there's just no possible way that like, you know, X number of years into it, you don't look back and be like, oh, there's some things we should have established at the top of this yeah. that we didn't. And it doesn't matter. It's like even if you do a new relationship, you know, it's like 10 years down the line from there, you'll still be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I should have probably addressed this. Should have known those things. Yeah, <laughs> but so you just funny. don't, you know, you don't know. Uh, well, um, oftentimes, and I don't know if you're prepared for this, uh, we ask our, our guests to just leave a little exercise or just a little nugget of something mm-hmm. that someone could apply. Um, Let's see. You have a lot in your book. So if anyone's craving some I more instruction. I this, which okay. is money can feel so disjointed and like heady and real like air, you know, swords energy. Um, all in the realm of ideas and like our brains. And I want to remind everyone that archetypally money is linked to earth energy. And so, and that's like, you know, a very, very old reminder and invitation to um, get connected with earth and get grounded when we're doing money work. Um, so it's not just about like doing your ideas better or like doing your brain better or doing the numbers better or doing the computer better. You know, it's like get grounded before you do money work, like do a grounding meditation, you know, find your grounding crystal, like go out and put your feet on the earth. Like, you know, whatever it is, is going to be your, is your things that makes you feel grounded, like really, invoke them, you know, before you do your money work and see if it changes how it works. Like do it before you log into QuickBooks, you know, do it before you go to do your budget, before you have a conversation with your partner about money, before you check your bank account balance, like, and see if that shifts something for you. Yeah. I love that. And this is, I've been hearing this message a lot from different folks regarding grounding. You know, I love what you said about that regarding money. I just took a workshop yesterday with Kim Kranz. She made the wild unknown deck and it was about the mystic's mind, but all the work we did was root chakra because you have to be stable in your body to be able to like go on those mystic quests and know you have a safe place to return to. Um, and so I'm hearing this, I'm just saying this to our listeners. I'm hearing this from a lot of experts in this, in the field where, I would say 10 years ago, 12 years ago, a lot of people were talking about pineal gland, third eye, 
you know, activation crown chakra. Now all the experts are like, hey, it's about root. No, it's I'm about like, babe, earth. get in your body. Like, get yeah. in your body. Here we are. Like, we're on the earth. Like, yeah. For sure. So maybe I'm just noticing it because it's personal messages to me. Oh. Everyone's like, get in your body. But I, I'm seeing those th- those themes and I think it's a, a I think it's a really great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, do you just want to drop like a few places where you want people to find you and so they can enjoy sure. more of your work? Yeah, moneywitch.com has, you know, all the links to everything, including uh, my money magic products. I make like some vibrational medicine to work with magic and um, also my cult of financial healing, Money Coven. Uh, we're always welcoming folks. You can kind of hop in at any time and get taken on the spiral of it. Um, I'm most heavy social media on Instagram at money.witch. And yeah, there's That's links great. from those places to, Perfect. to everything else. And if you'd like to buy the book, which I highly recommend, Money Magic, you could buy it at modernmysticshop.com. And we actually have autographed copies. So if you want something even special, even more special, even though the book, on, I read it on the Kindle and it was also excellent. Um, just another way to get some of her money magic into your hands. Well, thank you again. And thanks for everyone for joining um, this episode of Moonday Mystic. All right. Y'all have a good night. Thank you for listening to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop. Moonday Mystic is hosted and created by Kelly Knight, produced by Ariel Duncan, and inspired by magical listeners like you.